guys what's up this is daryl coming at you from uh holy rad studio soho welcome to fish out of water it's going to be our monthly holy rad podcast where we decided to create mostly out of popular demand i mean i can't tell you how many times people have come up to us and said damn you guys really should start a podcast which is a weird thing to say <laughs> because i think that like so much of what people want is just to have access, I think, to some of the conversations that go on between the partners, the staff, the members, and some really incredible insights happen in these intimate moments. And while we do our best to be accessible to our followers and to our community, I think there's something really special about just inviting people into our conversation. So with that in mind, um, we hope to shine a light on all things Holy Rad, mm -hmm. give like a really intimate ex experience about um, how much we put into this community and how much it means to us and how personal it really is. Um, but more importantly, hopefully we can explore some new interests and new conversations and bring some great leaders into, into this wonderful white table and kind of see what happens. So um, I won't drag it on, but today, is going to be our very first podcast, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be the guest. <laughs> it's a little strange to be the host and the guest at the same time, but um, we really wanted to do it because my origin story is the Holy Rod origin story. So um, as we've grown in the last five years, I think um, it's more important than ever to remember our roots and mm -hmm. um, to invite all the people that are just discovering us today um, into why we exist. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, I'm Daryl, and right now I have with me my two amazing partners <laughs> and some of the closest friends and family that I've ever had. Um, to my right is Elena, and to my left is Saskia, and I'll let you guys uh, introduce yourselves. Yeah, hi, I'm Saskia. I'm the... Um, Director of Content and Operations at Holy Red. Um, I've known Daryl for 20 years at yeah. this point. Yeah, like I mean, since I was a toddler. So yeah. <laughs> um, from my time living in D.C. and our moms being best friends and us growing up together yeah. and doing the parties on the weekend with our families yeah. and everything. And um, yeah, and then I, I, I moved back to the UK, but then I reunited with Daryl when I came to New York to go to Tish. And um, I've been working at Holy Rod for the past three years. Coming up on three Coming years. Coming up on three years. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. crazy. Mm -hmm. Wow, yeah. 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 No, um, definitely a family affair. Mm -hmm. yeah. So who's this girl over here? Uh, hi, I'm Elena, and I'm the Director of Research Development here at Holy Rod. And I've known Daryl for 11, 12 years. Went to high school all the way back. Um, so I'll never forget the day that you called me. Oh yeah. August, 2014. And you told me, so I do. I'll, I remember exactly. I was just in my bedroom. Yeah. And I remember having to like sit down and being like, oh, okay, this is not just like a, Hey, like blah, blah, blah. This is what I'm doing. It's a like really important moment. And you told me that you were going to quit shop teaks. Not that like I'm thinking about it. You'd already made the decision and you were kind of I calling me. That. Yeah. You were like, okay. And 
what what next? And you basically were like, I don't want to work 80 hours a week for somebody else. I've built this great thing there, but I'm 23 and this cannot be it. Yeah. Like, no, I think it's really, um, to give it some context, uh, it was about 2014, right? Yeah. Summer of 2014. And, you know, it's like, I am a millennial, right? Right smack dab in the center. And so I grew up inside of the crash of the economy right so institutional trust was crap getting a bfa from even an institution like nyu wasn't necessarily what you would consider a money maker so when i was offered a position at an incredible startup called shaptiques right out of university a couple days before i graduated by the way i'm talking health insurance 401k a pretty good entry salary and a job do you know how many people and my university not let alone my program who are like holy shit I'm about to graduate and I have literally no idea how to make a living, what that looks like and where I'm going to go. You know, Mm -hmm. your, your community is all of a sudden not there anymore. Your resources, especially as a photographer, aren't there anymore. So I I, I took that job because it felt like what I was supposed to do. Um, But it was still a startup Mm -hmm. and it was, I was working in fast fashion and the founder um, was an incredible woman. Her name was Olga classic American dream story. I mean, the moment I met her, the story she told me was about how she made it to the United States. And it started with, I was so poor growing up that my neighbor ate my pet dog. And I'm actually not even exaggerating there. Um, So she moved to the United States, didn't know English, taught herself English, modeled through her um, years um, as an undergrad somewhere, I think at Wesleyan as a mathematician. She ended up at Harvard Business School. But let's not forget the Harvard Business School way is suffering equals success, right? And so she came to me one day and her grandmother who raised her was dying. And she looked at me and she said, as a justification for why I should be working harder, she goes, Daryl, my grandmother is dying right now and I'm choosing to be here because this is more important. And when she said that to me, I was like, not to me, (laughs) no. (laughs) No, that's not more important. Um, I will have to respectfully disagree with that one. So it was kind of that along the combination, I think, of like my father's story of, of, of being forced, I think, a little bit as a first um, generation, firstborn Korean American son. Um, the obligation to his family mm. to become very financially stable meant that he didn't have the opportunity to pursue the things that he was most interested in, most passionate about. And so I was very fortunate for him to, and my mom, to always be incredibly supportive yeah. of my interest as long as I put my heart and soul into it and I cared about it. So I called you, yeah. <laughs> walked out of the office. I called you and I was like, I, I can't, I can't do this. I was working like sometimes 17 hour days, seven days a week, making less money by the hour than I was when I was freelancing as a photographer at NYU. And I was like, this doesn't- And I know you were doing the math in your head and you were like, no, what? Yeah. (laughs) How is this possible? I have to try this. Yeah. And you'd been doing that, I mean, in college, you were always, I mean, I remember you would never come home and I'd always be so sad. Every time I'd be coming from Florida, I'd be like, Daryl. And you're like, I can't, I'm working. Yeah. And because you would be- Grinding. Grinding. You would be taking nightlife photos. You were constantly like, if you weren't at class, I you was were working. Or yeah. working. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, New York is a wonderful place to kind of um, 
to force you, I think, a little bit to hustle because even from the privileged place that I was coming in, I mean, I still had to make a living, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a quarter million dollars to go to that university, and that's no joke. So um, the cool thing about getting a BFA in photography is that you have a trade, you have a skill. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you become I, a service. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have a service, you know? So I was shooting nightlife photos at Webster Hall. I was taking headshots for, like, the up-and-coming talent at, like, some of the major, t- like, modeling agencies. I was interning as much as I could, and I was taking classes all throughout the summer because I took a medical um, leave yep. my freshman year um, after experiencing a pretty severe um, spout of depression, and I came back and had to, gra- in order to graduate on time, I had to be full-time I for remember. the rest of those years. Yep. Yeah, it was it was a lot. Mm-hmm. So going back from that moment, like, what were the next steps that you took? Like, well, I was very fortunate my last year of university to take a class that um, I hope that everybody takes. It's called the business of art. It was an elective at the time. And the only point of the class was to learn the business of art. Seems to me that that's pretty freaking important before you graduate. Yeah, like, important. you know, and it was really insightful. And the only job that you had for the class was to come up with your final project, which had to be either an art show, a residency application, a master's degree application, um, or a grant application. But it could be anything. Really. Okay. And so my idea was actually out of the need, the urgency of my need that I was going to lose my studio space, I was going to lose my lose my equipment, I was going to lose my community as soon as I graduated. There's no, like, I think every Tishy gets one six-week period that they mm-hmm. can call in yeah. to use the facilities. Yeah. Okay, that's it. That's a quarter million, that's all you get, yeah. right? So I was like, all right, well, I think this is going to be a problem. So... I kind of took the existing culture of sharing space, I think, uh, that has pervasively existed in New York City Mm -hmm. as being such an expensive Mm -hmm. place to live with Mm -hmm. roommates for a house, an apartment, Mm -hmm. but also for artists. I Mm -hmm. mean, like, the the shared studio space is not something I invented, Mm -hmm. right? But it was something that I knew could be improved upon. And so Mm -hmm. I created this concept where I would, like, live upstairs and downstairs would be this, like, shared studio space. And... All of a sudden, I'd have other artists, you know, coming and shooting, and I'd be able to create everything that I was going to lose. Mm. But, you know, one thing led to another. The stable job came around. Like the rest of the things that I did at NYU, they went in storage underneath my bed at my mm-hmm. mom's house in Maryland. Yeah. You know? So when I, when I quit, <laughs> Lesta, let's not forget, I'm not a planner, I'm a doer. Yeah. <laughs> so I called you called my dad and I was like I'm not this is what am I I'm literally contributing to global warming slave labor fast fashion is one of the worst things Mm -hmm. that I could be putting Mm -hmm. my energy into I'm not making enough of a living to even justify because I made more money when I was on a freelancer so it just all lined Mm -hmm. up and I quit and so the reasons that I quit weren't about the plan ahead it was about that if I was 22 23 at the time Mm. no kids no mortgage Mm. in great health have both my parents have my brother like I have all the support and (laughs) my life is not going to get any easier like I'm not going to have any Mm. less responsibilities than I do in that moment yeah so if I'm going to take a risk on myself the aha moment for me I think was like taking advantage of having nothing to lose yeah and so I quit and then remembered about that little Mm -hmm. two credit class I took and dusted off the business plan and just full-on went for it um can you tell us a bit about the first space in Bushwick? 35 well, you know, Meadow. A lot of people think that that was my no, first location. No, it was actually the place 
the what, tiny, yeah, tiny, yeah. tiny little office where Anna yeah. has her yeah her tattoo studio. Oh my god! So I think it was like seventy-seven Troutman, something it's like that. Troutman. It's Troutman. Troutman. Street, it's off the Jefferson um, stop. Off the Jefferson yeah. stop on the L. Yeah. And you know, one of my professors, uh, um, Adita at Tish, she I remember she, I was taking her class. I wasn't doing well, by the way. She like was really upset. She was she looked at me and she said, "If you're not getting up every single day at nine o'clock, like you have a night to five, and taking your artistry seriously, like you're not an artist." And and that always stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. So I was like, "If I'm gonna like wake up in my apartment and like not even put my pants on, like yeah. I'm not gonna feel yeah. like I'm working." Yeah. So, um, it actually wasn't until I tried to be a freelancer again and really felt the difficulty Mm. of being able to Mm. afford studio space for my personal work but also for the work that I was getting hired for that made me realize I need an office Mm. so I didn't have any freaking money I don't I have I have like savings to my name but I didn't really want to spend it yet so I was like all right I'm gonna try and find a really cheap studio (laughs) oh the only studio that I could find wasn't even a studio. It was. It used to be a men's urinal bathroom that they decided <laughs> that to it. give that me it, access yeah. to that I <laughs> literally had to paint. I was on my hands and knees in the dead of winter. There was no heat in this room. I was shivering and I was scrubbing an old bathroom floor and I had one of those moments where I was like, <laughs> like why am I holding the this? business plan <laughs> in the hand? Just like, just like yeah. shaking yeah. and shivering, you know, like eating ramen. Like, um, but... <clears throat> that struggle was so necessary, I think, for me to to problem solve, mm. you know? And I, I just was so adamant about all of the work that I put into my career. I mean, my dad handed me a camera when I was 10 years old, and it has been my addiction and obsession ever since. There was never a moment of, like, what's Daryl going to do? Like, everybody knew that I was going to go to school for photo. It was never even, mm. it was never even a question. So um, I think that's something that, is beautiful about pursuing your passion is that it's like a never-ending ever energizer battery like because you're mm. passionate about something you it does like you're gonna keep getting up and gonna keep getting up and you're not gonna quit so i um i found the business plan i think once i realized that it wasn't gonna work in that bathroom yeah <laughs> and so the second i guess location yeah was really the first location to most people yeah which was so um I mean, I guess you could call it our first location because that, that little bathroom was really more about just me having an office, an office. as a freelancer. It was in a shooting space. Yeah. yeah. Because I wanted, to, I wanted to take myself seriously. I wanted to get up every day mm. and put on an outfit and go to work mm-hmm. and set an intention, you know, but yep. it just it wasn't translating. And so I, I realized that if I could figure out a way to get access to a studio, all of a sudden, like the, I don't know, anywhere from, $900 to $2,000 a day I was putting into paid and unpaid work for me to get my career off the ground, I was going to be able to actually make it. Because the numbers aren't going to add up. I think my I, like the daily cost of just existing and breathing in New York has got to be, what, like a couple hundred dollars a day? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So after you get a budget from a client, you pay everybody out a decent salary because everybody deserves to be paid for their mm-hmm. work, right? I pay out all of my bills. You rent equipment. I run equipment. You rent what the you studio. I rent the studio. Yeah, what are you left with? I'm left with a negative number, girls. Yeah. I'm left with a zero, yeah. negative zero, zero. Um, so it, it, it just was never going to, that's just not, it's just not possible. So 
I was not interested, I think, in those traditional routes, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be on set working for other big you macho that with photographers. You didn't want to be anybody. No, I didn't want to be anybody's. I didn't want to be anybody's employee. I want to be my own boss. I wanted to yeah. be in charge of my own life, and yeah. so it just the timing was also everything in 2014. Yeah, right? I mean, let's mm-hmm. not forget that was the rise of Uber and mm-hmm. Airbnb, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden this concept of like, if I own a car and mm-hmm. I don't have anything to do from three mm-hmm. to seven. I can get in my car and I can make some money. Yeah. Or I am not home, I can rent it out. Like all of mm-hmm. a sudden that became not only something, I mean, sharing has always been there, mm-hmm. but it became mainstream. I mean. Even with listing platforms. Yeah, I mean, there'd always been Craigslist. That be rented out for a yeah. month by the same person. Yeah, I mean, even Craigslist. It needs a rota. Yeah. But you know what it was? It's that there was this already existing sort of like points of, 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 of aha, right? It's like, okay, well, there's there's an air there's a commercial version of Airbnb and there's his this history of New York City artists and cl- like sharing mm. space and there's this you know um, this business plan that I came up with like I just kind of connected those yeah. dots and thought you know what like I don't know if this is gonna work but I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna see if it does so I did something kind of interesting I took my life savings and um, some money from like like graduation I think and I put it all on a six-month down payment for a corner storefront unit in Bushwick yeah. off of the Morgan and Stop on the yeah. L. Mm. And I was like, it was a little bit out of my budget because I wanted something cheap, right? But I thought about it. I was like, all right, but if I get a storefront, all of a sudden, I'm not going to just rent mm. to other photographers. No, I can events. also rent to, yeah. to events. Who knows? What? Everybody needs access to space Everyone in New York. Everyone wants a storefront. And it, with, with that little bit of research, I was just like, you know, like, I, let's let's try this out. So put the down payment on the space. I had six months of runway to get this to work, right? And then I was going to basically have no money to my name. I was going to have to move New York City and <laughs> go back home and live on my mom's couch. Like, that's what it was. Yeah. That's, you just have to, like, I took that leap of faith. So... You know, I I, um, I opened up in January of 2015. Yep. Um, I had no idea how it was going to work, but I just um, did something really interesting, I think, just before I decided to sign the lease because I negotiated with the landlord. I said, listen, I'm going to give you six months up front. I don't really have a strong credit score, but here's six months worth of yeah. rent up front on yeah. top of all of the other fees, right? If you give me six months, like... Um, I promise you that if you can take this off the market for a few weeks before we sign, that's it. Just take it off the market for a few weeks. I went in, took fire photos of the raw space, Mm -hmm. made a fake Craigslist account for the space, and I got enough bites on it to justify opening it up. Right, and I people were willing to spend like two grand a day. I mean, it was it was a beautiful space. It was. It was gorgeous. I know, with yeah. the, like the glass and the brick door. wall. And yeah. Can yeah. you share a little bit about the first year? Like, yeah. How hard was it? Oh my god! <laughs> so like running events. <laughs> what do we think of event rentals? Did you pick up? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, um, I right. Because let's go back to the model, right? Yeah. Because a lot of this is we are a social enterprise, so we are not a nonprofit. We fund our own selves. Like we basically subsidize our own selves, and that came from like you being like okay well this person wants to spend 2k for this event for like maybe 12 hours in the space Mm -hmm. like okay great if they do that then I'm only this much x more till I hit my rent and then shit I got rent Mm -hmm. paid for the whole Mm -hmm. month yeah I mean listen I wasn't in a position at that time where my freelance career was bringing three thousand dollars worth of profit because that's (laughs) how much that rent was yeah yeah 
Okay. So I knew that if I was going to get this to work, I need to have the cost of the studio covered. Yeah. If I could get the cost of the studio covered, all of a sudden the line item of renting space was now going to go back into my pocket. Mm -hmm. And that money was money for growth. That money was to be able to invest back into myself. Right. And so I, the lowest hanging fruit were events. I mean, it's Bushwick. Come on. Yeah. It's like 2 a.m. Yeah. parties. There's yeah. like burners, yeah. like taking over my space. People are peeing in the yeah. hallway. Like I'm in way over my head. You got, like, a, you got a call when you were in Paris. <laughs> No, from I the was, police. oh my God, I was overseas on uh, for work oh or for God. vacation or something like that. And yeah, I trusted this neighbor of mine who was a host for parties. Oh I get a call from my landlord literally of, some, of him literally saying, he goes, somebody's peeing in the sink on your floor. If you don't get back here, I'm kicking you out. You know, I mean, it was crazy. Like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, you do it because you're so excited about the money that's going to bring exactly. you. No, but yeah. you don't, people are assholes. Like, I thought I did a good job, you know? I was like, I got a security deposit from the guy. And then I'm like, Daryl, these are burners. They literally like have so much money. Like they go to Burning Man every year. They spend $100,000 on installation for funsies. You know what I'm saying? A $2,000 security deposit is worth this man to yeah, pee in the fucking exactly. sink, right? So um, I would say that the first year was just the best, hardest like learning experience of my entire yeah. life. I mean, I was on a personal level going through a lot. Mm. You know, I, I, like I said, I, I, at the beginning, I got a history of depression. Like I've been going, I've been trying to figure out that pathway for a long time. And, you know, I won't digress too much, but being able, when you struggle, I think personally to, to care about yourself and find self-love, mm. there's something so powerful about having something outside of yourself to care that you care about more mm. than you. And it made me show up every single day and it made me, it made me have something greater than myself. Mm. So once I realized that I was making enough money to be able to support myself, I wanted to start sharing it with other people, mm -hmm. but also that's what the business plan plus. It wasn't to be able to make a shit ton of money from parties. Yeah. You know, it was about how do I make enough money to cover this place so that I can actually start mm. making art. And so once I switched the model and decided to invite artists to use the space exclusively as for mm. photo shoots, I came up with something that I think is what we really call now a membership program, yeah. right? So I put a ad out on um, the listings project, which is like a monthly newsletter. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna find 10 artists, 10 artists who can spend, spend $300 each a month to be able to have unlimited access to this space, right? I'm not shooting there every day. I need it, what, like three, mm -hmm. four times out of the month for my paid shoots and then in between that, like when I can get time in to mm -hmm. actually shoot my own things. Yeah. So that's when I started sharing it with other other members and other photographers. Mm -hmm. And cut to five years later, we're no longer just 10 members. I think we're about 70, 70 yeah. members now. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. And that membership model is now the residency. Yeah, yeah so... so I mean, I think like what I discovered was a self-sustaining ecosystem, right? Mm. All of a sudden, now instead of renting to just some random strangers who were mm. going to destroy the place, I had five, I had about 10 to 20 different people who were rotating monthly to be able to have unlimited access mm -hmm. to this space. They were able to make more of a living because they weren't spending $900 mm -hmm. a day to have access yep. to a studio and equipment, right? But I still had a main revenue stream that was cutting the, that was covering the cost of my operations. I didn't want to make a profit on my fellow artists. Yeah. You know, that yeah. wasn't the point. I just yeah. wanted to be able to cover keep a, rent, cover rent <laughs> yeah. you know? So 
that has always been sort of like a nonprofit relationship. Yeah. But the cool thing is, is I think the profit that I was making now from having the cost of the space covered was going right back into my own self. It was go, it was investing into classes. It was investing into equipment, right? It was expanding to other clientele. Yeah. And cut to five years later, my little itty bitty freelance career, because it all of a sudden has this funding, this profit, is now actually a full blown video and photo production company, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Now, I think the genius thing that we're seeing now is that the completion of that ecosystem happens when the production company starts hiring out exactly. our members. Mm -hmm. exactly. People who I have built relationships with over the last five years, who I've seen struggle, who I love deeply, who I also want to see succeed, it is so satisfying not only to feed myself and my loved ones, mm -hmm. but it's amazing to be able to also feed everybody else in the community. Mm. Yeah. So you've told us a little bit about kind of like how each piece of the model has like grown kind of organically, right? Like the production company on one hand, the membership. And then can we talk about some of the resources that we have at Holy Rod and kind of how those have evolved? Like, so you're there with people in the space, right? And we yeah, have in year like one, yeah. in year one and <laughs> you're seeing what's happening. I mean, where we are today, we have like fully fledged out programs. Like yeah. Our editorial program. So is how did like, we get there? Basically. Yeah. How did we get there? Yeah. Because like I said, like my, my, my university plan didn't have like all of this mm -hmm. vision, like so much of what has unfolded before yeah. us is honestly just maintaining the same system in which I learned everything, which mm. is that doesn't work. Let's change it. Let's mm. see what works. Right. So the first year that I had this sort of membership program where we had those like 10 to 20 artists, like you know, renting out on a monthly basis, I noticed that there were other things that were missing, mm. you know, and they would come to me with ideas. Hey, have you ever thought about actually just like getting the group of us together and seeing if we can have a little bit of a portfolio review? And I was like, oh, sure, great. I can organize that. I actually needed it too. Awesome. Let's do yeah. that. You know, and so that repeated over and mm. over and over again for five years. All you have to do to be, run a good business is listen to the people around you who need it most. Mm -hmm. I just think that the secret weapon is that I was the one who needed this resource the most. And so when something is created by the person who needs it, mm. it, it, it really creates something that will inevitably work. Yeah. You know, I think that's also sometimes why like I lament about the, the whole charitable structure yeah. of like, I'm going to make millions and millions and billions of dollars raping and pillaging the world for its resources. And then once I have the money, that's when I will give back, yeah. but I'll give it back to these huge <laughs> institutions, right? That I'll give it back to these huge institutions, which are part of the problem, which are part of the problem, right? To be able to give money to people so that they don't learn, but they're reliant upon something. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sweeping all charities on the rug. First of all, I don't know enough about it to really like do that, but mm -hmm. also I think it's just simply <clears throat> the mistakes mm. are so valuable. And I think that I have benefited from a life where I learned that at an early age. Yeah. And so um, now the programs that we have are, I mean, I'm so proud of them and mm. I am so happy that we're able mm -hmm. to offer them. Mm -hmm. And it's because as we've gained more members and we've gained more um uh, renters of the studio as a studio space mm. and we've gained more clientele everybody all of these revenue streams are slowly 
coming up together. And we can put that money right back in to what makes this so special, right? We can we can hire more teachers to teach programs. We can hire more mm-hmm. consultants to consult our um, our members. We can bring in more equipment mm-hmm. for our members mm-hmm. to have. And so the reason why I think the membership program is so special is because it's coming from somebody who went through the same struggle. Yeah. And I think the beautiful thing about where we're at now is that we're recognizing the same struggle that I went through as a photographer is pretty much the same struggle mm. that every entrepreneur goes yes. through. And the moment I recognized that being a photographer, being an artist also made me an entrepreneur, even if that was like a little bit of like letting go of the stigma that a, a starving artist is mm. authentic and that mm. I'm not sellable. And yeah. I got to I'm sorry, I gotta keep my lights on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I gotta make a living. Yeah. Art is labor. Yep. So mm. the programs now really are just like a finely tuned reaction mm. to the mm. needs of the people in our mm. community. And we just mm. know how to listen, I think. I think a really good example is actually our office hours because mm. I know that those were born out of residents who were shooting in the space and mm-hmm. then decided to just pop into the office and say hi after their shoot because they were really going through it and they're talking to someone else who's really gone through it. And so being able to relate, being able to ask for advice, suddenly actually just turned into an office hour. Yeah. And how you know. useful it was yeah. to have somebody yeah. else there yeah. to just be like, oh my yeah. God, I understand. And like, yeah. but also, okay, like your feelings are yeah. valid. Yeah. yeah. But also this operationally. Yeah. And this is a little bit more on the personal side mm-hmm. of running a business is that you got to set boundaries. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. there definitely mm-hmm. has been moments where the work that I wanted to do and the mm-hmm. time that I wanted to give to our members to mm-hmm. give them my full attention when they came in, they're like, I haven't gotten paid for six months by this mm-hmm. person, but like, I don't what have do any resources. How yeah. do I do that? And me just being able to be like, wow, I really know what that feels like. I want to give my time some to you. copy that I use yeah. To, yeah. to yeah, get yeah. my money. Yeah. Yeah. And so it really is just about, about like, okay, in order for me to maintain that, I've just got to systemize it. I've got to put some operations around it because I can't be on call at 24-7 all of, no. or otherwise the reason for why I started this, which was so that I could be an artist yeah. that was mm-hmm. living and surviving and thriving mm-hmm. in New York City, mm-hmm. um, it, it will go out the door. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so um, learning boundaries, but also... Needing boundaries as a human being is, I think, what uh, taught me all about good business operations, you know? Um, so I think the programs now are, are, are great, but I also know that they're always going to change and they're always going to get mm. better because that's just how we work. It's just what we no, do. they're getting better yeah. every day. I mean, even just hearing how people are using the programs or how one of our members in the editorial doesn't actually want it to be in print and wants it to be in this show and how it can move between our programs or something that came from a sponsorship is going to, you know, and just yeah. seeing how people are using it yeah. is actually to me so exciting because it comes, that's where the new ideas come from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. well, I guess you can do that and that yeah. and that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden you're a music video director. No, like, I know. I mean, there's know? never a boring day here because we're always learning mm. from from each other and from mm. our mistakes, but most mm. importantly from our community. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really grateful. But mm. so, how has Holy Rad overall, like five years later, like affected you personally? Like I know that you, mm. you know, talking about how it helped you get up every day, but you know, kind of looking back now, like, mm. <laughs> oh my god, I get emotional. Um, how has it affected me looking five years back? Um, how fast it went by and how slow it went by at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's just like more like, I don't know, uh, philosophical commentary on time, but it, it, or just it, living in New York. Living in yeah. New York, right. Um, I have easily packed in 
decades worth of mistakes and 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 growth into a very efficient five years Mm. and it was hard and I wanted to quit so many times. Yes, I can I, yeah. attest to that. How many phone calls I got. And I'm being like, no, 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 no. Don't get a van and move to New Zealand. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Literally. Literally. The hours of like pros and cons of like, does it make sense to keep it going? Mm-hmm. Is this really what I want? I mean, those are other conversations that I remember quite vividly mm-hmm. as well, you know, because yeah, I, I was there, you know, hearing it is hard. And I think you, you tried to convince yourself that you wanted to sort of finish Holy Red. I remember you showing up to lunch with my mom and giving us a pitch for an hour about why you were not going to continue Holy Red. And then like two months later, you were in Clinton Hill. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, so I guess, I guess that didn't happen. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I think that the looking back on it now, Mm. um, you never do anything alone. And so for me, it's about incredible gratitude for people in my life, right? Um, especially the bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, it's weird, like I'm being interviewed and I'm hosting at the same time. We're coming up at like the end of our yeah. little conversation here. Um, I, I just wanna ask you guys, I mean, is there anything else that you feel like people need to know about me? Like, I was actually gonna ask to wrap up, like, is there, is there more to the vision that you see for the future? Ooh, like good we've, question. you know, yeah, so much has been achieved. Yeah. How could the vision keep growing over the next five years? Well, I think that um, the first phase of all of this has been about the, my success story of struggling as an artist and mm-hmm. then becoming a full fledged production studio, which is what I've always dreamed from mm-hmm. a, a very early childhood. Mm-hmm. That's my vision that I had. But now, and that's something that I want to continue yeah. to pass on to every single member that mm. walks through these doors, is I want to be able to say, look at what this space did for me. Let's, let's do it for you, yeah. too. But I think the next phase, Zas, is really about finding the other studio owners, space mm. owners, community activists, mm. and saying, hey, listen, I think I got a business model that can mm-hmm. make you money and allow you to do good at the same time. And mm-hmm. I think that's the next phase. Is I, I want to I share this quote unquote IP, right? Knowledge for knowledge sake is what? Narcissistic. Narcissistic. Yes, ma'am. So now it's about getting out there, doing things like this and answering the questions that, um, and sharing the conversations that we have here. So I'm I'm really excited and I'm just so thankful. The future is bright. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So that is all the time we have for today. Yeah. I hope you liked it. it. You want to close it out, Daryl? Yeah. So um, we're going to be doing these guys uh, uh, seasonally, and we're going to roll them out once a month. Um, Next episode, I'm really excited. We're going to be interviewing Elena Franco right here. And um, I'm I'm really... I'm I'm so excited for us to just share a little bit about this and I'm I'm scared to, to come off narcissistic because we all know that this space is oversaturated but you know come in hang out with mm. us and um uh hopefully it'll um resonate with you. So thanks again you guys. Uh we'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs>